So let's open with prayer. So, Lord, I thank you tonight as we get into the word. We come in Jesus' name through his blood. I thank you for an open heaven. I thank you for your presence that's here in this place. What a powerful presence of God here. And, Lord, I thank you as you speak through me tonight, everything that needs to be spoken. Lord, that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus to lock in, that our minds are able to concentrate And we will be opened up spiritually to be able to see things maybe we couldn't before and hear and understand things. But the Holy Spirit helps us. And Lord, even now that the Holy Spirit just tune us in as you speak to me, living through my life, living seeds of truth going out in the good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And we take authority over the enemy. The birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we bind anything of the enemy. They would try to hinder this word. You will go from it now in Jesus' name. This this word will not return void, but it will go forward and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, just bear with me. I'm on the other side of it, uh, but my voice, uh, I had trouble with my voice this week. And thankfully, today I'm able to speak. So... We're going to get in this together, but I'm going to be speaking probably softly. Now, I'm going to start this series and just kind of flow with how the Lord wants it to go. But this series, I'm going to tell it broken because everybody has been through things in life that has psychologically and emotionally been very traumatic and even damaging. And and it, most people can say that at some point in their life, they went through something really devastating. And during that time, if you're not careful, because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many knows the devil is a thief and a destroyer? Death and destruction. He wants to come in and kill things and destroy. If you're not careful, when you go through something like that, I've seen a lot of people that are never really quite the same after that. And it's not a good thing, what I'm talking about, not that they improved, but rather they never really fully recovered from it. Maybe they began to sit during, I remember there was somebody years ago used to come here and went through something, and they always had vibrant worship, man. I mean, they they jumped around, they were really into praise and worship. After they went through what they did, they just kind of sat through worship, and they never they never really got back to where they were. I know I know more than one ministers that had been hit, and some of them never. It was never the same again. They never really preached. They never really prayed for people. They never really got fully back into things fully, the way it was before. They never got completely on the other side of it. You can recover. 30, maybe 60, maybe 75%, but you don't get all the way back to where you were. And how many knows that's what the devil wants, right? So I'm going to be dealing in this series with, you know, whatever you've been through, that God help you to get on the other side of it again, and there'll be a full recovery. I've, I've known people, for example, that went through where a spouse maybe cheated on them, betrayed them, left them, destroyed their life, destroyed their family, and it took them years to ever get back on track again. And maybe some of them never really did. Some people, those things are so devastating, even though God had nothing to do with it, they get out of church and away from God because they're just so so hit by what was going on. And you can't let that happen to you. Whatever has happened to you, your source of healing and restoration is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So don't get away from him. Now I'm going to start this series, part one, talking about a broken spirit. And we're going to deal with this in depth until we get all the way through this. But I believe God's going to begin a process tonight of beginning to heal some wounds inside of people. Things that you've been through that you need to be healed from. And I'll talk about this throughout this sermon. But the enemy is like this. If, if I was fighting somebody for my life survival, okay, 
and I and somebody was attacking me, and I noticed that they were limping because there was something wrong with their ankle. If it was either me or them, how many knows I'm going to kick them in the ankle? I'm going to aim for whatever their weak spot is. Listen, the enemy will target weaknesses. And if you've been really damaged psychologically, emotionally, you've been wounded, you have a terror kind of in your soul, your spirit, when the enemy shows up, he wants to put a claw right in that. And all of a sudden, people start acting out. They, they don't act like themselves. And they'll start uh, maybe causing problems, getting easily offended. They start running their mouth. They start acting out, but they don't really mean to. But it's because the enemy's kind of got a claw right in a wound. And I've seen people that, that carry some, some type of a wound. And because of that, they deal with rejection mentalities it's like a stronghold, and this is the weirdest thing, but I've seen this enough to know that it's true. They don't mean to, but they're always pushing away the people that God wants in their life. They don't get close to them. That They're always pushing those people away, maybe even being mean to them, and then they're always trying to get with the wrong people. It's a, some kind of a spirit of rejection or something that's trying to manipulate their life away from the people that they need and connecting with the wrong people. Because the devil knows if that continues, they're never going to get what they need. So let God really speak to you through this series. Now, I'm, I'm going to dive into this, but I want to start it this way, as this is really off topic at first, but it's not. The first thing I want to talk about is Psalm 94, verse 20, because I'm telling you guys that spiritual warfare is, is on the rise. Something's about to happen, and I want you to be ready. And this inner healing is part of you being ready for what's coming. Amen? So Psalm 94, verse 20. And I'm reading this in the New American Standard, but also I may cover this in the Amplified Classic as well. But it says, can a throne of destruction be allied with you? Now, the Amplified says this, the Amplified Classic, shall a throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? So there's thrones of iniquity. And that word is hava in Hebrew, and I'm going to explain it in a moment. Shall a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree they band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold. And my God, the rock of my refuge, he has brought me back. There, he has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil decree. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. So the can a throne of iniquity. I got to thinking about that, so I looked up the word iniquity, and it means, it's the word hava, H-A-V-V-A-H, in a, like a transliteration to English. But hava, it implies, it's really interesting because this is a unique word that had a lot of adjectives attached to it. So I'm going to tell you what it implies. It implies like a lust for power, a lust for money, some type of iniquitous drive that brings about destruction. So let me just paraphrase, paraphrase this. This will be Pastor Scott's paraphrasing. Okay, this is amplified version Pastor Scott tonight. Ready? This is the way you could kind of read that by implication. Can a throne that is evil, that evil, lustful men sit on a throne because of their lust for money and their lust for power and they're corrupt. Therefore, in their corruption, they bring destruction to others. Can those people have any fellowship with you? Of course not. They seek to destroy the righteous. Do you see what it's saying here? Now, there's some good people in politics. Not a lot, but they're there. <laughs> but how many knows that there's a lot of people that have a lust for power and money that are sitting on a throne of iniquity and are devising against 
the righteous. Now, I say that because I do believe, please, please hear me. The last time we had an election year, an election year 2020, hell's forces came in like a hurricane. I mean, it stirred up hell's forces to come in like a violent hurricane against this nation. The enemy did not want any type of person to be in power that would be standing for what he's for and against what he's against. And the enemy stirred up everything he could. Now, I want you to think about what happened in 2020. Around the first of the year, the COVID pandemic broke out. How many remember how difficult that was by itself? And then as we started drawing closer to the election time, which would be in November, we get around May, what happens? All of a sudden, George Floyd died at the hands of a cop. And next thing you know, emerges this Black Lives Matter movement that started what race riots in the streets and destruction which led to a lot of things that didn't even have necessarily to do with that, but just tearing down any type of a, um, some type of a statue, just anything that would go back to our heritage or something, tear it down and destroy it, graffiti. There was a lot of people that are innocent people, had nothing to do with anything, little mom-and-pop businesses that these people began to attack them and destroy their business, steal everything they had, and beat them half to death. These people didn't have anything to do with anything. This was the rage of the demonic forces trying to manipulate. I'm saying all that to say that Satan wants a throne of iniquity over America. Right now he has one. And he does not want to lose a throne of iniquity. He does not want somebody to come to power that's going to stand for life and stand for righteousness, stand for religious freedom, and be for the things God's for and against the things God's against. He doesn't want that in power. And this is how thrones of iniquity operate. One of the ways ungodly, unrighteous laws get passed. And let me tell you something else. It's hard for me to believe this is an accident. I'll just go on the record and say it. It grieves me. But it's hard to believe it's an accident that the first thing that happened when Biden comes to power is to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Therefore, great wealth got transferred to Russia, who uses it to what? Invade Ukraine. That's exactly what happened. Then, all of a sudden, billions of dollars get released to Iran. And next thing you know, Iran's able to funnel money to their proxy military, um, Hamas and Hezbollah, and they start a war against Israel. And because of wide open borders, and I'm not trying to get political, but we there's no doubt in my mind or yours that there's people that have come in now inside this nation that are a threat to our national security. Thrones of iniquity that cause bloodshed and evil to be promulgated throughout the world. Thrones of iniquity. These people that come to power, but really behind them are principalities and powers that are using that throne to go again. What does the Bible say here? Show a throne of iniquity, a fellowship with you. They who frame and hide their unrighteous doings under the sacred name of the law. In other words, it can read this way. They devise mischief by decree. In other words, they pass wicked laws. They legalize sexual perversions that God's against. They want to legalize murdering babies and shedding innocent blood. Is this making sense? I said all that to say this. I believe with all my heart that we're on the cusp of something but there is a rage of the enemy, I think, that's about to be released because of this upcoming election year. The enemy does not want to lose his throne of iniquity. And so please be in prayer about it because the rage of the demonic, you may see it manifest in the streets, 
God forbid there could be a terrorist attack in our nation. There could be all kinds of things that the Satan himself is going to mastermind. And back, I remember back in the previous administration, there was things that were going against evil regimes. I remember that President Trump shut down any type of support financially for Iran because they were trying to, to build a nuclear weapon that they themselves said that they are going to launch against Israel and then America. So you would think anybody with common sense of any kind at all, I mean, just the smallest amount of common sense would think, well, maybe we shouldn't give them a nuke if they're telling everybody that they're going to launch it right at us. That could be a bad idea. So President Trump comes in and says, we're going to quit that. We're going to put sanctions. And, and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, a lot of things that, that were being funneled to China was cut off. There was a lot of decisions that were made. And here's what I saw as I was praying. I saw the rage of the enemy. How many knows that Satan himself wants evil tyrannies like over Iran? He wants them to have nuclear weapons. He wants them to launch it against Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants thrones of iniquity that will shed innocent blood and go against the purposes of God. So get ready because I'm telling you, warfare is, is on the horizon big time, big time warfare. But here's what I would say to River of Life. What I said last week, let's be clothed in scarlet. Bring your life and family under the blood of Jesus. So now with that said, let's have nothing in us for the enemy to get a claw in, okay? So now let me shift gears about inner healing that's needed. How many have been through some really difficult, devastating times in life where it shut you down? You know deep down that after you went through what you went through, you're not quite the same. It damaged your inner spirit. It damaged you psychologically. It was a devastating thing. Let me, let me speak to you today because the Lord loves you and he cares for you and he wants to help you. But we need to ask him to help us and we need to kind of open ourselves up to Jesus and say, Lord, you've come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. I admit that I need help. Heal me and humble yourself before him and he'll heal you. But let me read some scripture to you. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. If you're taking notes, I want you to see the last part of it. But it says, for to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. And it's talking about the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. But this is the part I want you to notice. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? See, I could sit here and be talking to you. And you could be smiling and nodding, but deep down, there's all kinds of uh, a, a raging, uh, uh, something going on in you that I don't know anything about. There's some kind of, there, there can be within people turmoil and they've learned how to hide it. You talk to them and they seem totally fine, but really they're not fine. And things will come up in life, little, little things that don't even matter but it'll trigger that in them and all of a sudden they'll react to that and it's really irrational. And you're like, whoa, are you okay? And they're really not okay. There's something in them that's been so damaged, so broken, and they're hurting. And they're just covering it up and putting on a mask, but they really need the Lord to heal them. But who really knows what, this is what this is saying, who really knows what's going inside you except your own spirit within you. You're, God knows, but we don't know. Only you really know, and God knows. In Proverbs fifteen thirteen, a glad heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. And then also Proverbs eighteen fourteen, the strong, listen to this, the strong spirit of a man sustains him. We need a strong inner spirit. It sustains you in bodily pain or trouble. But a weak and broken spirit, who can raise up or bear? See, here's what that means. 
somebody that has a healthy, strong inner spirit within them, when they go through difficulties in life, that helps sustain them through it. But when they have a broken spirit and they go through difficulties in life, they can't handle it. They, they just, they can't. They fall apart. They, they go into a depression. They just want to run away from it. They can't handle it. They may even go to a nervous breakdown, but they just can't handle what they're going through. And it's because of stuff in them that they, they have a broken spirit within them. And it may cause them to be, have tendencies to be suicidal. And some of this has come through childhood traumas. People's grown up in broken families and different things that they've gone through as a child, and they were psychologically, emotionally damaged. Others have faced things as they entered their adult life. They had a pretty good childhood, but then when they got an adult, they went through major devastation, major loss. Something happened, and it just really devastated them. Also, let me just read some things I wrote down in my notes that you have. But everybody in life has been through some type of rejection. How many has felt really rejected at some point by somebody? It really hurts you. Even though you may pretend it didn't, it hurts you. How many have been betrayed by somebody? My Lord, I have. Listen, I've learned in the ministry that just goes with it. I don't let it affect me anymore. It used to. Betrayals. How many have ever felt unloved and unwanted? See, there's a feeling sometimes that people that's maybe been damaged, that they always have a weird feeling that they're on the outside looking in, that they don't really fit in really. They're there and everybody's around them, but they always feel like they don't fit in and they don't belong. That's something going on within them. Is everybody there could be really loving and hug them, but still, when they're sitting there, they feel like I don't belong. I don't fit in. I'm just on the outside looking in. It's a rejection stronghold. Of some, it's a rejection mentality. And also, you have these bitter type of judgments. Um, and it can produce paranoia in people. I mean, I've been through some, some really devastating things in my own life. And I have to catch myself sometimes reading into something. I'm like, okay, that just... It can produce a paranoia about things. But bitter judgments where, where you read into things the wrong, it's not really how it is, but you're, you're judging it out of a bitter heart and a wound. You're judging people wrongly. You're judging situations wrongly. Nobody's against you, but you feel like they are. How many have maybe been abandoned? Another stronghold is a sense of being an orphan. Some people, even though they themselves have people that love them, they have felt so rejected and abandoned throughout life in different scenarios that they carry a sense of like an orphan spirit where they don't feel like they really are loved and belong. And it's kind of what I've already been discussing, but they just feel like they're unloved and unwanted or something. So... Let me read through these and then we'll, we'll get to the end of this. But the feeling of not fitting in and always looking in from the outside, maybe in life, things like this, maybe they weren't picked for something they felt they deserved. Maybe they were laid off from a job without any type of a good valid reason. Maybe they have felt that they were treated as an outsider and people didn't really want them around. Maybe they felt unattractive or rejected based on their physical appearance or not feeling they have the abilities that others have. Maybe others are better at certain things and you don't feel like you can measure up, whatever that is. It could be um, academics or it could be sports or it could be music or whatever. And some have been rejected, betrayed, or cheated on by a spouse. And there's even a sense sometimes of things people have gone through that they have a sense of shame and brokenness. Now, for example, somebody could have been molested or raped or something, and they were the victim. Yet they carry a sense of shame about that, and they didn't do anything wrong. But they feel a sense of shame in that, like they did do something wrong, or maybe it was their fault. And I believe in the days that we're living, the Bible warns us the love of many would grow cold. 
this damage can affect the rest of someone's life if they don't get healed from it. And Satan knows that. This is how evil the devil is. I, I hate the way he operates, but those of us in River of Life that have been taught, you understand the concept of witchcraft, manipulation, intimidation, ungodly control, etc. And also I've taught on Leviathan, how Leviathan twists and brings major confusion. I mean, just twists things. With that said, I made a prediction right after Israel got attacked on the 7th. A few days later, I said, you watch, it won't be long until Israel looks like the bad guy and the terrorists look like poor little victims everybody feels sorry for. Has it not already happened? And I mean, it's like they barely had time to bury their dead before Satan managed to make them the bad guy. That's how this, that's how this witchcraft and this Leviathan's twisting and, and confusion comes. Somebody can actually be the victim and the devil steps in and they're made to look like the bad guy while the person who actually did it, people feel sorry for him. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen, but I have seen it over and over and over again. The abuser is made out to be somebody to feel sorry for while the person that was actually abused is called a little liar, get over it, what's wrong with you? And the abuser's like, oh, feel sorry for, you know, give me a break. But I've seen it over and over again. There's a sense of persecution that all of us are going to have to get ready to face if you're going to be a real Christian. And I remember reading in the book of Revelation, and it says this. It says that a different list of people, Revelation 21, 8, I believe, but it says that the cowardly and the liars and those that practice the occult, the sexually immoral, all these, it gives a list. It says their place will be in the lake of fire. And I remember reading that, and the thing that stuck out to me was that the very first one was cowardly. And I thought, why in the world would John write that the cowardly would be the first ones? I'll tell you why. Because when it came time to take a stand for righteousness and truth, they wimped out and they sold out. How many people are going to take the mark of the beast because they were too weak to stand for God and stand against it? Are y'all listening to me? It's getting quiet. And I was so proud, I was telling, I'm not going to get into any specifics, but I know that one of my grandboys had to face some some real persecution uh, because of his Christianity and was hurt by it. In many ways, I feel there was a betrayal, and it definitely was, was painful to go through. But I was proud of him for doing that. And then, on top of that, my wife and I then had to face severe persecution for similar things for standing for righteousness among some of the same people. How many knows if you're going to stand for truth and righteousness and stand for Christ, the devil's going to try to make you look like the bad guy and the wicked look like some poor little victim? Is everybody hearing me tonight? Because it's really too quiet in here. And this, this is really something that you need to grab hold of and remember this conversation, so to speak, I'm having with you right now. I'm telling you, when persecution comes, don't be surprised if you being persecuted for righteousness that you're not made out to be the bad guy. While the ones that are the abusers are made out to that you should feel sorry for them. Think about what I'm saying. I remember back whenever the previous administration here started putting people um, on the Supreme Court that were pro-life. How many knows that the Lord is against shedding innocent blood? And so I was thankful that, hey, that we've, we've got somebody there that's appointing Supreme Court justices that are going to be for life. And, I mean, here's the thing. Those people are in power for a long time. And so I, I'll never forget this, and I heard other preachers talking about it. When one of them was being considered and brought in, the people that were so for abortion, for whatever reason, 
They were screeching, and you may be able to find a video of this. Go back and look it up. They were screeching and howling and screaming and acting insane. And you listen to those sounds, and I'm telling you, because I've cast demons out of people, they were manifesting demonic spirits. It was the craziest thing. But you see the rage of the enemy. And the whole time, here's how Satan manipulates this thing. You ready? He manipulates it where the person that's murdering babies is somehow seen as the good guy. And the people that's saying, hey, why don't we have some kind of solution here where we let babies actually live? You're made to be the bad guy. That's demonic. Confusion, twisting. It's a Jezebel spirit and it's witchcraft. And I'm trying to tell you this. There's about to be a rage coming. And I'm, I'm trying to expose tactics of the enemy. But I don't want the enemy to have anything in you or me that he can slither in and put a claw in that area. And all of a sudden, you're acting different than you should. And you get yourself in trouble. Some people, the enemy puts a claw in them. And next thing you know, they start getting goofy. And they want to go out and get drunk and backslide and get away from God because they can't handle it. How many knows that we don't need that type of reaction when the enemy attacks you? Because how many knows that's just going to make things worse? But the damage that takes place in people many times can affect the rest of their life, but God can heal those wounds. A strong inner spirit can help someone through life's difficulties, like financial difficulties, grief, sorrow, the loss of a loved one, persecution, even physical battles. If you have a strong inner spirit, that inner spirit within you can help you to have great faith and have resolve. How many knows what resolve is? We need that faith and we need that resolve in us. But if people have a broken spirit and they're damaged, negative things in life can really set them back. Now, in the days that we're living, we're seeing a huge increase of breakdowns in marriages, the destruction of families, division in overall relationships. And maybe you've been caught in the crossfire of some of these things yourself. And maybe you've been damaged by the destruction of the enemy that he's releasing in these days. But the Bible warns us, and I've already said this, that the love of many will grow cold. Be careful. Because the enemy knows the only true hope is for people to find love and acceptance and healing in God's house. So he has them, so the devil tries to get them away from God's house. Don't let the devil get you away from God, away from God's people, away from the house of God, away from prayer and the word of God, and disconnect you from the source of what you need. Everyone's been damaged. People have been broken. There's wounds that are there. But Satan wants to put a claw in there. So how do we begin to move beyond that? I'm going to give three quick things. I'm going to talk about how to get into healing I'm going to talk a little bit about the communion table and then about praying in the spirit. But I want you to be ready for the days ahead. Warfare is on the rise. But I believe that God has got us and we're going to be totally fine. But I just want you to be ready for it. Take comfort in this. Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, he saw all the people and it said he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord is moved with compassion. He, he cares about the wounds that are in your heart. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to give it to Jesus and ask him to come heal the wounds. But that's going to be impossible until we simply forgive people. That, listen, forgiveness does not mean that you say that those people were right it doesn't mean that you agree with what they did. It doesn't mean that you're justifying their actions. 
All it is is you letting it go and moving on with your life. Forgiveness is just forgiving the debt. If somebody came to me and said, can I please borrow $100? And I let them borrow $100. And they said, I will repay you. They never paid me back. They come back to me. I forgive the debt. I forgive it. I'm going to move on with my life. But then they come back to me later and say, can I borrow another $100? Nope. <laughs> doesn't mean I still, doesn't mean I trust you. But I, I forgive you and I'm just moving on with my life. So in other words, you don't have to let toxic people in your life. You don't got to take their phone call. You don't got to go out to lunch with them. They don't have to be an intimate part of your life any longer. You can move on. But you forgive it. That's the key. You got to forgive the debt, whatever they did, just let it go, and you move on with your life. If you don't, there is no way you're ever going to be healed and be able to actually move on from it. People that hold on to unforgiveness, they stay locked in a bondage the rest of their life. And let me tell you, they turn bitter. And I've known people that were sweet and loving, but when they got bitter, they became angry people. And it didn't take much to set them off. I've been around some people that they just, they're sitting there and they're just like a boiling pot just waiting to go, just explode. So we got to make sure we forgive people and let it go. And then we also need to ask the Lord to forgive us for anything that we did. Okay. If maybe we had a part in it. Ultimately, the other person wounded you, but maybe there was a part of you were part of the problem, though. Just admit it and say, Lord, they wronged me and I forgive them, but I also made some mistakes and forgive me for the mistakes I made. We got to be humble, amen? And then also acknowledge that you need inner healing. Then ask God for his healing and then receive it by faith. And tonight, I believe God's going to begin to heal people. This may be a process, but it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. God isn't wanting us to sit around in a pity party about it. I'm not belittling anything, but I've just known people that they just kind of dwell on things too much. Let's forgive. Let's confess our sin. Let's give it to Jesus. Let's receive it by faith, and let's just move on and not dwell on it. Because there's an unnatural dwelling on things. You know, if I wanted to, I've had some real betrayals. I mean, some stuff that really hurt me. And I've had some people do some things. You know, what I don't need to do is go in my house and, you know, shut all the blinds and get in a dark room and sit around dwelling on it. That's only going to make everything worse. That's how people get depressed, which those type of things can lead to, to mental problems and, and emotional problems and, and actual physical health problems. How many knows that we need to forgive and we need to repent of our sins and then we need to open the blinds, we need to get out in the sunlight and we just need to move on with life. And don't dwell on it because, I mean, there's people that have wronged us and betrayed us the worst thing you can do is just sit around and think about that, what they, what they did to me, and just think about them all the time. Look, forgive them and move on, amen? So let me give you a couple things that, I, man, I really feel like you're going to need this river of life. The communion table is not something new to me. It's not something I just started preaching on. I've been preaching on it and taking communion in my own personal life pretty much every day since the 90s. So this is not new to me at all. I've probably had 30 years of talking about the communion table. But I can't go into the big long thing because I could teach several sermons on it. But I'm going to give you something in passing and I want you to really listen to me. <clears throat> in the days to come, just like I said last week, be clothed in scarlet. You need to bring your family, you and your family, under the blood of Jesus daily. And one of the most powerful ways you can do that is through the communion table. So let me just say some things because I'm just going to be let the Lord speak through me and just give you some things in passing. But the communion table, number one, something that represents Jesus' body and blood 
goes down into your body and blood. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you leave out of here tonight, you still have communion in your body? And you need to be careful what you do with your body because it's holy ground unto God. But there's some type of an intimacy with the Lord, okay? Just like in the natural, even though it's different because it's a sexual relationship between a husband and wife, but a husband and wife come together, there's, there's a, in marriage, there's a two becoming one. But with the Lord, obviously, it had nothing to do with anything sexual, but in communion, there's something about like becoming one, a union, a connection that's made. And you see this intimacy, this closeness in the communion because in the table of showbread that's in the tabernacle, right there before the ark of God, very close to the ark was a table that had unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. And it represents, it's called lechem panim in the Hebrew, the bread of faces, plural, meaning face to face. It implies something that brings you close to God. In the same way, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus broke bread, unleavened bread, with the disciples. And they said, as we spent time with him, our hearts burned within us. And then they sat at a table with him, and they broke, Jesus broke bread, and they, they recognized him. They had revelation of who he was. One of the things that communion will help do, the Bible says in Hebrews that the veil, remember the veil of the temple was ripped? So we have access to the Holy of Holies. And it says in the book of Hebrews, in that veil was Christ's flesh. His flesh was torn on the cross. Think about that. When you take communion, there's something there that brings you into a place of being able to draw past the veil into a closeness with the Lord. Lechem panim, face to face bread of presence, where you're able to get a revelation of him and get close to him. There's something about that, number one. Secondly, the communion table helps to purge the yeast out. It causes a deep consecration. What represents the body and blood of the Lord comes into your life. It's a time to examine yourself and confess and repent of sins, forgive people, but there's something about it that brings a consecration to you that helps to purify you by the blood of Jesus. And in that, to separate out of your life things that need to go. And whenever Jesus ate the Last Supper, which was Passover with the disciples, he took communion with them, remember? He gave them communion. And listen, when he did that, Judas Iscariot, the Bible says that Satan entered him and he left. I believe that churches are purged from wrong things and even wrong people because of the communion table. It helps to separate out. And if we'll take communion in our lives like we should, it will help purge our lives from unwanted elements. It'll help purge your home and purge your life from things that need to go. Because God wants us to separate between the light and the darkness. Another thing that's powerful with communion, it is an intercessory act. The high priest would go in once a year, but he prayed for the entire nation. And the Bible says that his prayers would cleanse the nation. And he would put his hands on the scapegoat and transfer the sins of the nation, and then it would be taken off and, and it forever removed from the camp. And it represented that. But listen, Jesus is our great high priest. He's an intercessor, and he's called us to be intercessors. When you take communion on behalf of your family, the Bible says this. It says that a believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. doesn't mean the unbelieving spouse is going to go to heaven unless they accept Christ, but still the believing spouse has a sanctifying effect on them. It says that. And that their children are made holy. 
I've told this story. I'll make it brief. Probably all of you know it. But there was a lady that son was estranged from her. He got in the occult, immorality, substance abuse, far from God. She had been praying for him for a while. The Lord said to take communion. He said one lamb per household. She took communion on behalf of her and her son and agreed that the blood of Jesus set him free. And I'm going to tell you, something broke when she did that. He called her out of the blue, began to cry, and wanted to come back and get things right with God and with her. Something broke. So you can take communion on behalf of your household, on behalf of your family. How many maybe got some children or grandchildren or whatever you're concerned about? You can bring them under the blood of Jesus. Now, they're going to have to accept Christ on their own to be end up in heaven. But your intercessory prayer for them can bring them under the blood of Jesus. On the day of Passover, you know as well as I do, in all those families that painted the blood over the doorpost, you know as well, well as I do that they had some kid or some member of their family that they thought to themselves, before I go to bed tonight, this kid needs a spanking. You know as well as I do, as some of them probably were some rascals. But once they came in and got under that blood, it didn't matter. They were protected because the dad put the blood over the home. Are y'all really catching this tonight? You can be an intercessor that brings your family under the blood of Jesus until they get things right with God for themselves. Another thing that's important is a hedge of protection. That kind of dovetails off what I just said. But Zechariah says that God will be about the righteous as a wall of fire and the glory in their midst. There's something when Job, um, he, he was a, his story is very ancient. It was way before Moses. But Job was a man that lived back in a time when they would build an altar to God kind of in their backyard or whatever and periodically offer animals up into God and, and the, the, animal, the blood of the animal would bring a cleansing to the family and they would be, he would be the priest of his family or maybe they would have somebody nearby because I know Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro, was a priest of Midian, Melchizedek, a priest of Salem. And these people knew God. But this was just an ancient time. It was the way God was moving in that time. Now, Job, it says that whenever his children were having celebrations and doing this, that, and the other, he would bring an animal, though, and he would offer this animal on the altar for his whole family just in case somebody in his family had sinned. And God honored that. Did y'all hear me? God honored that as Job prayed for his family and brought his family under the blood. To the degree that the book of Job says in 1 verse 9, I believe, that Satan himself with some fallen angels appeared before God in heaven. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said this. He said, I basically cannot touch him because you have a hedge of protection around him, his family, and all that he owns. If the blood of some cow or some goat all those years ago, could bring a hedge of protection around Job and his entire family spiritually where the devil himself said, I can't touch him. How much more so does the blood of Jesus Christ over our lives bring a protection? Think about what I'm saying. So there is a hedge of protection. Remember the story of Passover. And I'll give just a couple more. Strength for battle. David understood some mysteries, but one of the things he said was, God has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what that table is? The communion table. Think about what I'm saying. Back then, it might have just been the Passover table, but there was still a table of blood covenant that the, it was in the presence of the enemy, but he couldn't do anything about it. And he said, at this table, God anoints my head with fresh oil and my cup overflows. David's mighty men were fleeing from Saul and they had grown weary in battle and they came to a city called Nob, N-O-B. And the tabernacle was set up there so the priesthood had to bake these unleavened bread that they put on the table of uh, showbread in the temple, uh, tabernacle. 
And David got there and it just so happened that they took the old bread out and they were putting new bread and, and David and his men came and they were saying, do you have anything for us? Because we're starving. We've been traveling and we're so hungry. And the priest said, we don't have anything except the consecrated bread or have your men kept themselves pure to be able to eat of it? And David said, yes. And so they gave them the consecrated bread. It's a picture and type of communion. And David's mighty men of war got strength from the communion table, if you will. It gives strength for battle. It, it is a table in the presence of your enemies and it gives you spiritual strength. And a couple more things. I'll give you two more. One is, and I talked about this last week, it releases life. Jesus said in John 6, if you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, he said you'll have life in you. There's some type of a life that surges through you. And he said, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I, I thought about that scripture. And I thought about the fact that not everybody out there takes communion. And there are even other religions that have some type of counterfeit weird communion. But those that really take the Lord's Supper, does it do something to our physical bodies, because you're putting it in your body, that is going to ensure one day that your body will be resurrected and glorified as the Bible says it would be. Salvation begins in your spirit with a new birth. It moves into your soul with a renewed mind and a transformed life in Christ. You're a new creation. But it ends in the very end when your physical body is raised from the dead and glorified and you're given back your body. Could communion do something to your body? But I do know it releases life. And the last thing I want to say, and this is for River of Life. Revelation 2 verse 4 the Bible says that they forsook their first love and therefore he was going to remove their lampstand. You remember the lampstand? The seven branch menorah represents what? The Holy Spirit and the word. Did y'all catch that? It represents God's word and it represents the Holy Spirit and itself represents a family tree that you and I are engrafted into this tree, this family tree that God has. Jew and Gentile in Christ. Our root, systems go, root system goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ is the center branch, the centerpiece, but we're all in Christ, and he gives us his word and his spirit. And God describes the church in Revelation as lampstands, and Jesus is the one that walks among the lampstand. River of life, we're called to be a lampstand that gives God's people his pure word. And the power of the Holy Ghost. And if we ever get away from that, the Bible says they forsook their first love. Go home and look this up and this will surprise you. In the Greek, it reads their supreme love feast. It represents somehow the communion table. How is it that when people get away from communion that they begin to fall from their first love and they get away from some holiness. They get away from the things of God. They start turning to worldliness. They get away from preaching the word and they get into preaching motivational speeches. They get away from the power of the Holy Ghost and they get into entertainment. And pretty soon the Lord says, if you don't get back to your first love, I'm just going to remove the lampstand altogether. And you'll move into some real darkness then. We need to get back to our first love, that communion table where we confess and repent of our sins. If we've wronged a person, we go and apologize to the person and make it right. We get back to a place where we forgive people and we examine ourselves. Something about the communion table produces a holy fear of God that people know they better not be living in unrepentant sin and then eat in the communion table because they know they can bring judgment on themselves. So it purifies the church, which paves the way for the pure word of God to be preached in power and the Holy Spirit to come in power. And thus, we are truly what we're supposed to be. And the last thing I want to give you is praying in tongues. We need the baptism in the Holy Ghost and we need a prayer language. I'm telling you, it's not going to be as optional as what you think in the future. Not saying you can't go to heaven without it, because you can. 
but you're going to struggle. You need a prayer language. Why is tongues so important? Well, there's a guy, I think it's Bill Hammond, wrote a book, said 50 reasons to pray. So there's at least 50 reasons, but I'm going to give you a couple tonight. You pray the perfect will of God. Sometimes we need direction. We don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit will pray through us. Some of you, if you need direction or you're praying for a lost loved one, you need to pray in the Spirit and let God pray through you. Things that we don't even know how to pray, but God will take over by the Spirit and pray, pray through us in tongues. Also, it edifies and builds up and strengthens our inner man. We need an inner spirit that is strong. It also, Jude says, it builds up your most holy faith. How many knows we're going to need strong faith? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said you utter mysteries. That means you get revelation. How many want God to show you something for yourself? You didn't have to hear it in a sermon. God showed you something you didn't know. Showed you something out of the word you didn't understand. You get revelation from God by praying in, in tongues. Also, Ephesians chapter 6 gives the six pieces of the armor. And then the seventh is praying in the spirit on all occasions. So praying in tongues is part of our armor. And we need to pray because, listen, I'm telling you, when you pray in the spirit, you're helping to cancel the enemy's plans and you're helping to pray in God's purposes. What I just said is going to become increasingly important in the days to come. Perry Stone's father, Fred Stone, said, and I know you guys probably know this, but let me get this in this recording. There'll come a day, he said, it's not going to be in my lifetime. He's dead now. But he told his son, Perry, he said, you need to tell the people in the last days before Jesus comes that there'll be warfare so severe sometimes that it feels impossible to shake it. But he said, if you'll go lock yourself away with the Lord and pray in tongues... Pray it all the way through until you get the victory. He said, that'll be how you get on the other side of it. You're going to need it. I'm telling you, when I take communion daily and I'm speaking the word of God out loud, and when I pray in the spirit, those are weapons, if you will, that are keeping me spiritually strong. I get into the word. I quote it out loud. I spend time in prayer, and it keeps me strong. I'm sorry, I'm starting to lose it here in my voice, but I've done good so far, amen? You've got to understand how much of a miracle this was. Last night when I was going to bed, I said, dear God, I need my voice. And this is the last thing, as warfare rages, we need inner strength from being inner, inwardly healed. Tonight, I'm going to pray over you that God begin a process of healing you. I'm going to anoint you with oil, and I'm going to believe God to heal you. Number two, we need healthy marriages, healthy families, and homes in order. The enemy, listen, Ephesians 5 precedes Ephesians 6. Ephesians 5 talks about husbands being the leaders in their family. It talks about wives submitting to their husbands in everything and being respectful to their husbands. It talks about children honoring and obeying parents. A home in order. And that there be peace and harmony in the home. Then Paul talks about warfare. The message there is you better have your home in order. Because if you get in warfare and your home's not in order, you're liable to get hurt. Make sure that you're living pure. In the days to come, River of Life, listen to me. Make sure if you, if you sin that you're quick to say, Lord, forgive me. If you get into a fight with your spouse... You pray about it quickly. Don't go to bed angry. Join hands and pray about it and forgive one another. Don't give the devil a door. Make sure that you're right with God. You're quick to forgive people. If, like I said, if you sin, you're quick to ask forgiveness. Don't wait a week later to say, Lord, hey, I'm sorry about something I did seven days ago. Man, that can give the devil an, an opportunity there. As soon as you do something you shouldn't have done, you should go excuse yourself in the bathroom or something and say, Lord, forgive me for saying that or doing that. I shouldn't have done it. I repent. Wash me in the blood. Don't let something linger. 
Every night when I go to bed, my wife will tell you, we spend time forgiving anybody, saying, Lord, if there's anything we did or said, wash us in the blood. We pray over each other, and we make sure everything's right with God before I go to sleep every single night. I would encourage you to do that. And we need the glory in our homes. Now, I close with that. For the glory to be in your home, you need your home to be holy. So go through and clean house. If there's anything in your home that grieves the Holy Ghost, get it out. And then go through and apply the blood. Anoint your home. Bless it. Pray over it. Get the presence of God in your home. You need to sleep in the glory. You need to have be able to pray in the glory. You need the presence of God in your home. And so, Lord, I thank you for hearing and answering these prayers tonight. I thank you, Lord, for every person that, that is going to get prayer here in a moment. I thank you, Lord, for your healing virtue. And I thank you for this word changing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.